Foil hat. Check us out on all of our social media platforms on Twitter at Tinfoil Hat Cast, Reddit.com backslash R backslash Tinfoil Hat Show, on Instagram at Tinfoil Hat Pod, or all comedy t shirts.com. Email us at Tinfoil Hat Pod at gmail.com. Foil hat, foil hat. Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Eric. Dude, 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 you just blew my mind. Tinfoil Hat. Yeah, one of the best theme songs in the podcast game. Holla at your boy. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We're very excited for this episode. We got a great guest coming up. But once again, we just want to get into that June 1st is the big Tinfoil Hat comedy night. That's right. San Francisco, we are at Cobbs, everybody. Eddie Bravo, Off the Grid Ryan, Tresmella, and myself will be doing stand-up. Then we'll do panel. And then the winners, whoever brings the most people, get to go back, hang out with us, and do a private podcast with the kings of conspiracy. So we're very excited. So we're June 1st. We're at uh, San Francisco Cobbs. June 2nd, we are at uh, Sacramento Punchline. Those are available on my website. Go get check them out, samtriplee.com. Guys, uh, like we said last episode, or every episode, we'll always say it. Without you guys, this show it wouldn't be where it's at. It is growing weekly. Uh, our, I mean, what we're up to right now in terms of per episode averaging out is like mind-blowing to me. I never thought we... I never pictured doing that, and it's doing so good, and we're so thankful. I know you guys hate when I hit the table, so I'm going to consciously try not to do that. Uh, but I'm just going to say thank you guys so much. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we work hard to make sure you guys uh, have a good time listening to the show. So thanks again. And with that, Ryan, why don't you uh, introduce our guest? Yeah, I'm super excited about today's By the way, guest. everybody loved your hair flip right there. That got us a ton more views. Your love, luscious hair flowing <laughs> like a like a like a Herbal Essence commercial well, pushing hey, product. This is going to be perfect because today's guest is an author and an ancient astronaut theorist. He's been in the pursuit of the history of the Anunnaki and ancient archaeology for many, many decades now. Please welcome to the Tinfoil Hat Podcast, Marshall Clarfield. Marshall. Thanks, sir. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I've been fascinated by um, all your books for a quite a long time now. You're actually on the very one of my favorite episodes of Ancient Aliens back in season four, and it's uh, an honor to be talking to you now, sir. Marshall, I got to be honest with you. Uh, we, I'm going to tell the guests this is our second attempt at this podcast because you got a little sick halfway through the podcast, so we had to end it. But that small time, which was maybe about 15 minutes, you were you were just blowing my mind. I was I was so excited, and that's why you know I kept hitting you up to make sure you were feeling better, of course, and then just see when you were available to come back on. Uh, I am so excited to hear what you your thoughts on Anunnaki. I, you know, we again we do a lot of political conspiracies here, so I really want to start getting into the other realms, whether it's uh, the paranormal and you know the Anunnaki, the history of mankind, where we come from, and all that stuff. And so I'm super excited that you're back on. We kind of got into it last time, but uh, briefly before we get into you know what we want to talk about, how did you first get into the Anunnaki? Okay, that's a good question, um, Tommy. In 1947, I entered Caltech in September, and uh, in June of that year, uh, Roswell happened. There was a UFO incident that everybody got kind of weird off on, and uh, in the bull sessions at school, uh, all we talked about were UFOs and extraterrestrials, and it, it, it came to me that um, I had questions. Uh, were we alone in the universe? Uh, were there other civilizations like ours? Uh, had they visited us? Were, were they going to visit us? Uh, where'd they come from? And also, is there a God? These are questions that really uh, got into my core, and it took me 60 years 
before I really found answers. And uh, that happened in 1999 when I read uh, The Twelfth Planet by uh, Zachariah Sitchin. Um, his discoveries and his ability to translate the cuneiform tablets and compare them to the Bible stories uh, got the answers that I was looking for. Wow. And from then on, I pursued uh, uh, the question of uh, who, who they were, where they came from. It turned out it appears to be the Anunnaki, according to the cuneiform tablets. But the most important thing, guys, is that I, I did a worldwide search of all the stone monuments that are unexplainable, the pyramids, uh, the Baalbek platform, uh, Gobekli Tepe. And uh, recently I, I did a research and reverse engineered the Colosseum. Wow! And, and the Parthenon. And I found the most remarkable uh, architectural structures that couldn't have been done by humans 2,000 years ago. Just impossible. Wow. So uh, that's that's how I got into it, and that's why I wrote four books about it. And I'm very happy to uh, answer your questions or go forward and tell you what I know. Brian, before you take over, uh, can I... Um, I just, You were talking about some tablets. Uh, I, what, what were the name of the tablets? Yeah, go ahead, Marshall. Okay. So Sam knows in, nothing about it, so in break 18, it down. In the 1830s, the Germans and the Brits start digging around in the sands of Iraq, and they uncovered what are called cuneiform tablets. They're little uh, clay tablets that are written with um, Samarian. Samarian was the first language on our planet, and the cuneiform tablets were the first written language on the planet. Whoa! And they they described uh, the story of how the Samarians lived together with these Adonaki. Now, that could have been written by anybody. And in order to verify that, I took, there's a cuneiform tablet, that's great. And uh, there also were cylinder seals, and the little cylinder seals about the size of a, a wine bottle cork were made out of hematite, which is a very, very hard stone, and they were polished in a cylinder and then engraved in this stone in reverse were negative images so that when you rolled it on a clay, you got a positive picture. Wow. And these are the first pictures of what the Anunnaki look like. So this evidence kind of fit together and uh, help me in my uh, research. Now, to understand the Anunnaki, the origin stories of it all, uh, it's kind of, you got to go back. Many archaeologists believe that Iraq was the cradle of civilization. So between 3,500 and 1900 BC, on the Tigris and Euphrates River, was the home of the Sumerian people who prospered in this region. It is here in the distant past, before written history, is where they talk about what we are now calling the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki were always represented in a humanoid form, even though numerous traits indicate clear differences from normal humans. And um, basically, Marshall, like, they always show them being very tall. Uh, is there any yes. explanation for why the Anunnaki are so much more taller than the humans in these? Uh... Yes, uh, they evolved apparently on their planet, uh, and they're much older civilization than ours maybe millions of years older, and it was uh, uh, their ability to create close immortality. They uh, apparently uh, played around with their DNA, and they eliminated all the diseases that kill us. And if, you know, we don't die of old age, we die of disease. And uh, they were able to do that. And... uh, it's interesting to me that um, uh, the Samarians that you mentioned uh, came into a full-blown civilization out of nowhere. In other yeah. words, they had writing, they had music, they had philosophy, mathematics, and everything that they had, they said, was given to them by the Anunnaki. You don't 
get people coming out of caves and out of hunter-gatherers and form a full-blown civilization with streets and uh, high-rise buildings. This just doesn't happen. So you got to ask yourself, how the hell did the Samarians uh, get to the level that they did? And it had to be technology transfer. Uh, it, we see that in our history. Uh, you go back and look at the... Uh, uh, conquistadors. They came over to uh, Americas and they were in big, big white ships and they had technology that was way advanced over the local populations and there was a transfer. It's always been a transfer right. of technology right. when an advanced civilization encounters primitives. So here we go and that's a question that the uh, historians and the anthropologists and the archaeologists have never explained. Yeah, so the where, did the where did the Samarians get all their poop? <laughs> <laughs> so the Anunnaki, they come from the planet is called Nuburu, correct? Right. Which is the yes. 10th planet in our solar system. Where I take jujitsu. Uh, planet X. Um, this is according to Stitchin, but um, is there any explanation? Is there any physical evidence that you've ever heard of that uh, Nuburu actually exists, that the 10th planet is out yeah. there? Yeah, Sitchin, Sitchin researched it and it. Apparently, it was a uh, a rogue planet that was out in outer space, and it came close to our solar system and was attracted by Neptune's gravity and pulled in. And it came in clockwise. Uh, all of our planets are, go around our sun counterclockwise, and there was a collision. When it finally got in between uh, Mars and uh, Jupiter, one of its moons hit a planet called Tiamat. Tiamat was a watery planet. It was the fourth planet from the sun. Wow. And it whacked it and took a whole chunk out of it, which reduced its mass, and it came down into the third position. Now, if you want to see the hole, you just drain the Pacific. Oh, so you're saying the hole, and that's going to be in the Baja Peninsula probably? Say again? That hole would be in the Baja Peninsula in the Pacific? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, if you took the water out of the Pacific, the low, the, the marina trench mm -hmm. is seven miles deep, and the the surface uh, continents have been uh, expanding from the original uh, guana, which was one big mass, and it's been going out, and it's trying to close the hole in the Pacific. Hmm. And what we have is the ring of fire, all the volcanic ac activity that goes around the Pacific Ocean, because the plates are moving in, trying to fill up this hole. Oh my! So God. that's that's some physical evidence that we were whacked by uh, Nibiru's moon, and then the debris that that came out of that hole became the asteroid belt. All that stones that are flipping around out there in the asteroid belt, and the comets, which go clockwise were created at the same time. So you look at clockwise uh, comments, you say, how the hell is that happening? Everything else is going in counterclockwise fashion. These are physical... Uh, wow! Well, I wanted to get into... Uh, because there is a theme in uh, Tinfoil Hat that there are reptile people everywhere, I wanted to get into the serpent connection. In ancient Babylonian, the term used to describe the Anunnaki was sir, S-I-R, which translated means dragon or big serpent. Uh, the, the ancient Anunnaki god Enki was believed to belong to the so-called Brotherhood of the Snake. I was wondering, Marshall, could you give us a little uh, knowledge on Enki? Okay, the only uh, connection that I can tell you about that is that uh, Enki was called the Feathered Serpent. Mm. If you look in Egypt and you see the Feathered Serpent, it's a snake with this guy with wings. And then when you get to the uh, Mesoamerican uh, structures, let's take, for instance, Chichen Itza. That's a perfect example of a pyramid that was built with a fantastic orientation so that at the summer solstice and the winter solstice, the sun comes down the stairways and looks like a slithering snake. Yeah. Now, you tell me, you tell me how 2,000 years ago us aboriginals were able to create that. <laughs> That's that is crazy. crazy. I got to ask a question. Do you believe that the Anunnaki are the missing link 
between monkey to man? No. You don't, no, they're, they're not. So they, we, so. Uh, we, we are the missing link. Adam is the missing link. My first book is titled Adam the Missing Link because <clears throat> there's no real explanation of where we came from. Um, if you take a look at the history of Homo's, uh, Homo erectus, mm-hmm. there were millions and millions of these upright creatures that had a brain the third our size, and they were... Uh, advanced technology with wooden spears and stones. That's just, and then they were evolving on our planet for a million eight hundred thousand years, and all of a sudden, two hundred fifty thousand years ago in Southeast Africa, Homo sapiens appear, and there's no skeletal remains between Homo erectus and Homo sapiens to see how this upgrade happened. Well, in the cuneiform tablets, the Anunnaki describe how they cloned us out of uh, uh, primitive species, and they put their DNA into it, and we appear. First, humans are Homo sapiens, and then there was another upgrade, which became Homo sapiens sapiens. That's us. That's you and me. Nice. So uh, wow. you, have to, you have to kind of get explanations for this. Yeah. You know. Uh, the symbol associated with Inky were two coiled snakes, which is known as the caduceus, a symbol associated yes. with our current medical yes. symbol. But that symbol, those two coiled snakes, it also is the DNA double helix. Really? Right. So it's evidence right. of genetic manipulation. Oh, yeah. Wow. Inky well, was their master of technology. He was a genius. <laughs> and he had some sons who were also pretty powerful. And I was telling Sam... Hold on, the, who is this? Real quick. This I was is, laughing. I, I missed who you mentioned. This okay. Is, in the cuneiform tablets, okay. uh, Dummy, they were... Sammy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dummy or Sammy, I'll take either. I'm fine. <laughs> okay, either way. <laughs> there, were, there were two clans of Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. There was the boss, the king, his name was Anu. And then there was the firstborn son called Enki. And the secondborn son called Enlil. Now, Enlil was the product of the king and his wife, pure blood. Enki wasn't. Enki was the product of the king and a concubine. So even though he was born first, he didn't get to be commander because the pure bloodline was Enlil. So there was this confrontation between these two clans, and it caused all kinds of disturbances which are in the Bible. The Bible tells you these stories. And if you go to Genesis uh, 6.4 in your Bible, the Hebrew Bible, you'll see this sentence. The Nephilim were upon the earth in those days. They were the sons of gods, and they coveted the daughters of man. They mated with them and created the giants of old, the men of renown. And... I've never heard an explanation from a biblical scholar or anybody else. Who were the Nephilim? Nephilim. How do you spell that? N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. That is amazing, man. So it was like Game of Thrones almost. Like two brothers fighting over the throne. Who wins? They go at it. And then they come to America. The whole whole history of our wars is founded in this competition between these uh, two clans and uh, <clears throat> they had they had brought seven atomic weapons with them uh, to earth and they hit them and then at one time when the one of the wars they had a lot of wars uh, the leaders allowed the sons son of Enlil, son of Enki to use these weapons if you look in the Bible Sodom and Gomorrah. You read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and if you don't believe it's like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you're not reading it correctly. Yes, and there's also mention of it in the Mahabharata, which is an ancient 14th century text by the Indians and Hindu uh, religion, where they talk about arrows of light taking out a single a single arrow of light taking out a city of a million. That sounds like atomic. Yeah, yeah that now. Wow. Everybody wanted to know why the Samarians disappeared. 
And as a result, this was in the Sinai Desert where this war took place, and there's a lot of glass that was created there from the atomic, but there was fallout. They called it the evil wind, and it drifted eastward, and it went right, missed Babylon, but it went right over uh, the, the civilization of the Samarans and wiped them out. Oh, my God. Now, since we're on the talk of technology, um, when you see in all the archaeology depictions of the Anunnaki, they have three, uh, they're commonly shown with three very interesting objects. And the first one I wanted to talk about was the handbag and uh, very specific. So this mysterious bag, the ancient Anunnaki, was no doubt represents some sort of like, they called it in Stitchin's book, the water of life. I was just wondering if you can explain what they think it might have been. I think it was water. I think that, um, you know, they're like us. They were uh, uh, creatures that needed water, and they couldn't find it all the time, so you carried it around with you to survive. That's, uh, there, there is no buddy that I've ever read or researched that has answered that question, what was in the bag. To me, uh, it made sense that they had to have a, a I like water a cantina. Cantina. Well, um, it's Look also that. not what just... Is that a Kardashian right there? Look at that. Uh, hold on. So it's not... It actually is because it's Mesopotamia, which would be where uh, the Kardashians hail from. Armos? So um, they, it's also shown in ancient Incan, Incan culture and the Mayans. They have like the handbag, and in uh, Hindu, it's called Shiva's handbag, and it was supposed to yield right. some sort of like power or technology. Is it like the yeah. suitcase from Pulp Fiction? Do you know what that is? What? It's his soul. Oh, really? Remember, he has a Band-Aid on the back of his neck? That's where you remove the soul from, and they open it up, and it's glowing. Wow. Anyways, back to one this. Of, one, of, one of the things that you should look at that hasn't been talked about much mm-hmm. If you go back to that picture of that Anunnaki with the bag and the penal gland, that was like the, it's the helmet. The space helmet that he wears has horns on it. You see the horns? Yes, I do now. Up a, yeah. yeah. Okay. And and the other one, the other picture you had with the uh, is even more prominent. Show the other one. You got it. I love this. We're talking about this? Uh, the, these are things you observe. No, not that one. No worries. Like the one you showed. Well, go back, go back, go back, go back. No, it's the only one I said was a Kardashian, oh, right? Okay. Yeah, the horns. There we go. Horns on their helmets. Yes, you're right. Oh. Right there, right and, there. Oh, here, this one. Okay, there. Yeah, they both do. Mesopotamia. Now, you see the horns? Yeah, at the there's top. Two sets, there's two sets of horns. That designates his rank uh, in the Anunnaki system. The higher the number of horns, you get up to four or five horns, they're Enlil and, and Enki. This is probably Samash, wow. who was a lesser commander. But uh, the space helmet with all the adornments on his shoulders, um, do you have a picture of Ishtar? Uh, no, but we've recently talked about uh, her on our Easter episode in reference to perhaps that's where the origins of Easter stems from. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is there is a live, a, a full blown uh, granite statue in Samaria. No, I think it's in uh, Syria. That's what I'm afraid of. This statue depicts her in a helmet with her one set of horns because she was lower, but in the back of it, there's a box. There's a pipe coming from the helmet down to this box. <sighs> And uh, it's 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 what they wore, like a space helmet. Crazy. Now they could travel out of the atmosphere. The other um, object that you often see them depicted. They were astronauts. That's what you're saying. They were astronauts. They is, were. They, yeah. That was their spacesuits. Wow. Is, uh, the other object you'll see. Well, under- if if they, if they came from uh, their own planet to our planet, they had to be astronauts. That's the only way you're going to survive. Yeah. Yeah, they have a space suit. Yeah. Could you yeah, explain have- uh, the watch? Because uh, it's a wrist watch, or they call like the Anunnaki bracelet. I'm wondering yeah. what they, uh, what researchers and scholars believe the importance or significance of this. Look at that. Because you're never not going to see them without these three things. The handbag, 
the watch, and we'll get to the third one. Uh, this looks Marshall, like an advertisement you'd see in like a Vegas mall, like you want to buy some tourist oh, stuff. Oh, what, what, what it reminds me of is a sundial. Yeah, a watch. Has there been any uh, idea what it might be? No, everybody speculates, guys. I mean, none of us really know. All we can do is go and touch the things that they left here, the stone monuments that are all over the planet that are uh, impossible for the local populations to have built. For instance, let's take the pyramids. You pile up all those stones. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a foundation to support that weight. And the evidence is that they leveled a granite mountaintop perfectly over 18 acres so they could pile the stones on there and it wouldn't tilt over or fall down. Now, how do you level a granite mountaintop with this huge number of acreage so it's plus or minus a half inch? I think we'd have trouble doing that today with rock. Oh, yeah. So it was like perfectly straight. It was like there was, yeah. And I found a picture. It's interesting. I found a picture of Cairo, 1791, guy on a horse riding. But across, in the background, there are six peaks that are leveled off. The tops are going. Gone. So the overspray from the, whatever they call the bull of heaven, which is their most powerful device that probably leveled this mountaintop, shot across the river. Nile and it leveled these other mountaintops. That's insane. It's amazing. That's I have pictures of that in the first book. Wow. Adam, the missing link. Okay, so in most carvings where the Anunnaki represented, you'll see them holding uh, a pine cone in the right hand usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the pine cone, people that, say it symbolizes that, that is what? symbolic, I think. My, my research tells me that that's the penal gland in our brain. And it's duplicated also at a place called Anger Wat. Yes. There are five towers that are built like uh, penal glands. Or, in Thailand, um, correct? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, this was recognized by various ancient cultures, and the symbol can be found in the ruins of Indonesia, Babylonians, the Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, and what people don't know is Christianity. The world's largest pinecone sculpture is in the Vatican. You're kidding do you know? I've never. I was in the Vatican. I didn't see it. Oh, really? Wow. This is brilliant. Oh, yes. Um, so, Breaking news. So Joe Rogan, he well, went. He went to the Vatican, I, I, and uh, he was the only American that knew what it represented. And what's crazy is it. it it's been there in the courtyard. It's uh, the court of the pine cone. Is do called. we? Do we have any pictures? Uh, you can find it. It's literally. It's. It's this amazing, beautiful. Yeah, Google. You can Google it. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, the idea that. The pineal gland, which is described as where DMT comes from and achieves higher state. So not only did the Anunnaki give humans genetic uh, manipulation, but they gave us perhaps knowledge of the higher self. Unbelievable, man. And this is where the really interesting parallel happens is, and I'm not too sure if you know this, Marshall, but uh, the Egyptian staff of Osiris depicts two cobras rising up the staff just like the caduceus, yes. and at the very tip is a pine cone. Yeah. Now, my research has indicated that after the, um, like 350 years after the Samarians came, the Egyptian civilization, and the Anunnaki founded that civilization, they were represented by the uh, um, the, the gods, the same gods that were Enlil, Enki, and... Ra? Um, Ra? Were the god uh, of Ra? The sun god? Yeah, Ra was, uh, was Enlil. Hmm. And then later on, later on, about 1,500 years later, uh, Enki's son, Marduk, became Ra. And uh, he got rid of um, uh, Enki's firstborn, uh, second-born son, who was uh, Ningasada, Wow. who had ruled Egypt for 1,500 years, and he expelled him. And that was in 3,133 B.C. And he went to the new land, the Americas, with a bunch of uh, Africans called Olmecs. Yes. And he started founding new, new civilizations that he could 
create beautiful things with. He was an artist. And uh, the Mayans, all the glyphs, you look at the glyphs of the Mayans, they kind of like the uh, Egyptian glyphs that he created when he was in Egypt. And the Olmecs, nobody can understand how Africans came to the New World. And the uh, Mayan calendar, by the way, starts at 3,133 B.C. Wow! There's a bit of evidence for you. Wow! <laughs> so this guy's just going around, I'm, just making kids everywhere. And just, what's fascinating about Olmec's um, sculptures is they're usually just giant heads found out in the jungle. And they do have very African-like uh, facial features, large lips, a larger nose, uh, very yeah. prominent brow. And they also have, like you were talking about earlier, they have the space helmet of sorts on. Yeah, that looks like Zach Randolph from the Memphis Grizzlies for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing, now, man. Well, they repeated what they did. They, 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 they upgraded the Samarians. Then they upgraded the Egyptians. And then they started in uh, Mesoamerica, and you've got the Incas, you've got the Mayans, you've got the Aztecs, all those, and the Olmecs can be traced. I've traced the origins of their technology back to what the Anunnaki did. It's it's, it's, it's a bit of evidence that... (laughs) It must have been exciting because you were doing this long before the internet. Yeah, when he says research, he meant real research. We're like talking Dewey he Decimal went System. there and checked it out. He's not doing deep Google dives. Yeah, which is my research. No. Yeah. Well, you, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, at Baalbek, Lebanon, there are the largest quarried stones on the planet Earth. The suckers are sixty-four feet long. They're 10 feet tall and 14 feet wide, oh, and they wow. weigh 900 tons. Oh. And at the north northwest corner of the Baalbek platform are three of these stones that are 36 feet in the air, end to end, with no mortar. They're held together by gravity and friction. Whoa. And it's called a cyclopean wall. And, the, and they left in the quarry. Back about a mile away down the hill, another stone, which weighs 1,200 tons, and it's just sitting there. There you go, this guy. That guy weighs 1,200 tons. Now, it, it, to, it, an example of what 1,200 tons would be is three 747s fully loaded with passengers, fuel, and baggage. Now, can you lift that up, drag it over? a mile to this site at Baalbek and then move it up in the air 36 feet and place it end to end perfectly fitting. Do, I mean, we don't do have we, technology that no. can do that. We don't have technology. So, for sure, they definitely didn't have it back then, right? Yeah, and what's fascinating about right. Baalbek, we've, we're definitely doing a whole episode based on it because it is just so fascinating that the reason that the Romans built it, it's like we always build upon other sites that are sacred, you know, because that's this completely different structures. Right. Whoa. Wait, wait a minute. Whoa. You, you've bought the, uh, the Kool-Aid. Tell me, the Romans, the Romans didn't build on top of the platform, the Jupiter temple and the Baalbek temple. I've done research on those two temples and all the fingerprints of the Anunnaki are on it. The steps going up to each of these temples are 12-foot steps, 12-inch steps. We we have trouble. We walk on 7-inch steps. Now, if you wanted people to come worship at these temples, why would you put 12-inch steps going up to them? And also the columns, the Jupiter columns, are, are magnificent. And they've stood there for over 2,000 years. It was called Heliopolis. On top of that platform, that platform originally was the landing platform where they came with their spaceships. That's why all this uh, stone masonry, the Cyclopean Wall, was built. If you go down to Cape Canaveral, before we launch a rocket, there's millions and millions of tons of concrete underneath the rocket. So when it pushes on the Earth, it's got something solid to get up in the air with. So this this landing platform was described 
in a magnificent first story ever written on the cuneiform tablet. It's called Gilgamesh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes. And in that story, Gilgamesh gets himself over there, and the damn thing is guarded by these scorpion robots whose eyes are laser beams and kill everything that tries to get next to it. What? Yeah. This story introduces cloning. Uh, Enkidu was a clone by uh, Enki. Um, uh, Robots, uh, robots, and the space platform. When he gets there, he wants to get what's called a shim. Shim. That's him. That's, that's that looks uh, like a trans. That looks like a trans. Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. He, they claimed he could kill a lion with his bare hands. That was something he was proud of. He was <laughs> nine feet tall, and he was rattling around in the city of Uruk, where they made him the king. And he was taking advantage of the newborn, uh, new newlywed wives, getting first rights, and the uh, people got kind of fed up with that. Yeah, I would be too. And this story, this story to me must have been written by the Anunnaki to try to transfer information to us about the future. There was cloning, there were robotics, and there was um, Ishtar. Ishtar had a thing about this king. She wanted to take him to bed. Yeah, of course. He refused her. He refused her. And she got pissed. And she took the bull of heaven from uh, Anu, came down to Uruk and dug... 200-foot trenches with this damn tool was a powerful, powerful tool. Oh, my God. I mean, these stories are amazing. My second book, by the way, is called uh, Gilgamesh 10. And in that book, my wife and I wrote a screenplay for a movie Mm. taking this story uh, from Gilgamesh and giving it life and showing you what it would be like 4,600 years ago, where you'd be living side by side with these Anunnaki. It's a fascinating uh, deal. I hope to make a film out of it one day. Since we're talking about Gilgamesh, uh, Gilgamesh is the one of the story has been retold about 2000 times, the story of the great flood. And Gilgamesh is like the archetype of Noah. He built a big giant stone, I believe, um, ship and put in everyone's animals and he saved them during the great flood is am i whoa whoa whoa, whoa. I, i'm a misinformation sorry marshall set me right if, here if you read what do you Gilgamesh, cia that, dude that, it was 12 tablets okay and the 11th the 11th tablet tells of the great flood mm-hmm. and the anunnaki knew it was going to happen and the leader enlil had got fed up with us. We were diluting his bloodline by this intermarriage between the Anunnaki and, and humans. And he said, let's get rid of all of them and start over again. And this flood will do it. And you have to take an oath. All the leaders, the 12 of them, the Anunnaki Council, were sworn not to tell anybody that this was coming. So Enki's challenge, he liked us. He wanted to save us. So he, his son, uh, who's Noah in the Bible, Zizidaru in the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, he went to the wall of his home and he said, I'm going to tell you some stuff, but don't, don't answer. And he didn't break his oath. He left them a tablet with a design for the ark. And by the way, there were not animals on that ark. They collected all the DNA of everything that was existing on Earth so they could recreate it after it, and they put it in a golden box. And they put the box on the ark, and um, after the flood, most of the humans were wiped out except Noah and his family. And you got to ask yourself, how could any human survive on a planet that had 10 feet of mud? I mean, 10 miles of mud over everything. No, there were no trees. There were no animals. How would you live? Mm-hmm. So the story goes that they brought down from their mothership, which was orbiting Earth, all the necessities, the trees, the uh, um, call it the, the wheat that's been... Um, the wheat? Uh, no, they, they, they brought down... Uh, they found they found seeds on Mount Ararat that were nine thousand years old that had been genetically engineered 
to be superior producers of wheat. Wow. You ask yourself, you know, where'd this come from? And uh, they brought down shepherding. They brought down uh, male lambs and uh, female lambs, and they uh, made the sheep. And sheep became a very stable uh, product for food and for fur, uh, for pelts. Clothing, yep, clothing for sure. For sure. Wow. But they were, and to me, this is interesting, guys. If Enki was willing to save us, as his story seems to indicate in the 11th tablet, because he, he kind of had a vested interest in us, he was the one that did the the cloning and the upgrading. If we get into real trouble again, as we appear to be sometimes, I think they will come back and save us again because they got a vested interest in our planet and our people. And I think if Enki or his son is in control by now, that uh, they've been observing us with these uh, UFOs that you see all over the place. And there have been an incident where they flew over one of our silos, one of our um, rocket silos, and they deactivated the whole damn thing. (laughs) That's fascinating. Wow. That is insane. And since we might as well just end it off, or not end it off, but since you're talking about the Great Flood, you've, without giving too much away, you've had a very interesting idea what the Great Pyramid, particularly the Royal Chamber. Um, Have you ever been in the Royal Chamber? No, I've never gone to Egypt. I would hope to one day, but I have pictures, particularly in the the King's Chamber of the sarcophagus that was left there. I'm sure it was left in pristine condition. It's a beautiful piece of work. But there's damage. All the outer edges of this thing is is, is beaten down and chipped off. And they're just the corners, the vertical corners, the bottom corners, the side corners. And then in the one corner, there's a big V-like destroyed damage. And my theory is that what it was used for was uh, uh, separating Placer Gold from the Nile River, and that when the water got up into the king's chamber, it floated this sarcophagus, and it bounced around in the walls and uh, banged and banged and banged until it destroyed that one corner, and water went into the corner, and the thing sat down. <laughs> that was the end of that operation. It's, I mean, part of my theory, one of the things I think I've contributed with my research is that the extent that they went to to, to seek and gather gold. And uh, they started out with this uh, uh, mining operation in Southeast Africa. But after the Great Flood, all these two-mile-deep two mines that they had to get go were flooded and filled with mud, and it cut off their supply. So they had to find another way to get gold. And they looked at the easiest way was nature was stripping the gold out of the mountains and putting it into the water, into the rivers and the streams that came down off of mountains. And I've got a book called The Anunnaki Were Here, in which I explain washboard gold mining. And I show many of the structures are washboards and that there's placer water right next door, which they use to separate the gold out. Now that... They call that the washboard gold mining theory. Now, that's a big deal because, you know, from what Ryan's told me about the Anunnaki, gold is a big thing for them. And there's actual reason that they need it. Is that correct? Yeah, the whole idea is that their planet, uh, their solar system, or their their, their ozone layer was uh, ruined from their technology, is what people have read from the Sumerian texts, and that they needed to acquire gold in order to crush up and spread out in their atmosphere to reflect the UV raises and the greenhouse gases. This sounds crazy, right? So they come here and teach us mining technology, genetically manipulate us, give us some spirituality maybe, keep us going to be good workers because when they come back, we better have their gold. This all sounds Yeah, cr- but Ryan, Ryan, mm-hmm. Ryan, Ryan, I hate to interrupt you. Go but for you it. you got to ask yourself. Do it, please. If they were here, they were here 400,000 years ago and they were mining until the flood they didn't need all that gold. What were they doing with all that gold? They didn't 
they finished off their atmosphere, closed the ozone layer, but they must have been doing something else. What do you think they're doing? I, my theory is that they they figured out how to make monatomic gold, and they were ingesting it to uh, keep themselves living longer. Fascinating. That's just my theory. What? That's I've never wow. heard of that. Thank you. you Blow my mind right there. Um, I guess so. They would take the gold and it would like make them live longer. You, you somehow you uh, alchemic or whatever you you make a product called anatomic gold. It's a powder. I've got some friends who are taking it. They're ingesting it because they think they're going to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't. Give, there's no other reason that they needed all that gold. Oh, they had enough gold to seal their ozone leak and save their atmosphere and their planet, but they were here uh, 200,000 years before they created us, man. And then they made us go into the gold mines and, and do their heavy lifting. But it just doesn't make sense to me that they, they would need all that gold unless they were using it some other way. It is weird. Now, since we were talking about Mesoamerica, let's move actually here to where we're at in America. Um, and that's the Hopi connection. And then to understand the Hopi Indians, they believed, uh, and Marshall, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, the world had been destroyed twice, once by fire yeah. and once by ice. That's so, unbelievable. Right. And the second time when, uh, when the world was destroyed by ice, they went underground and there they were taught the ways by what they call the ant people. And what's interesting in the Hopi language, Anu means ant and Naki means friend. Yeah, they were uh, a very interesting primitive civilization that had uh, built their villages to replicate the star system. I think it's the Pleiades. I'm not sure which one it was, but they, if you look at the map of all the Hopi uh, uh centers of civilization they are configured just like uh, the celestial star system wow. either pleiades or wow and, and so then then the indians also dressed like their their uh, their ant friends and they wore these headdresses and they drew them on caves right. they have big eyes they have antennae they come from under right. the ground uh, it's so weird. Um, how would you explain a place like Chaco Canyon in New Mexico? Okay. I, my first research project <clears throat> was to analyze uh, Pueblo Bonita. It's a very fascinating remains of a structure in Chaco Canyon. And I discovered that it was facing uh, the north wall of uh, Pueblo Bonito faces a stream that comes down from Colorado filled with placer gold. Wow. At this end. It looked, and the water the water came in through holes in the wall. There's there's four or five holes in that front wall. And they had circular uh, mechanisms for separating the gold. I'm not sure exactly how that was done, but I'm pretty convinced that it was another way to separate placer gold. They tried, they had all kinds of experiments of how to get the gold. And uh, the thing that I discovered was a Greek myth called Jason and the Argonauts. Yes. And what? That sounds Jason like a band Chase, from the 50s. Jason Chase, the Golden Fleece. Mm -hmm. Now, what was the Golden Fleece? It was a sheep pelt filled with gold. And sheep has the, uh, the pelts of sheep have the ability, their, their fibers got lanolin on it. And if you put it in a stream where there's placer water, they'll, the placers will stick to the fibers until you get a, a golden sheep. It's a way of extracting gold. <laughs> so I think that was gold. a technique of how really? they collected it. Wow. Super fascinating. That is super fascinating. So well, I, in the four, four books that I've written, uh, the last book, which is called Mysteries of the uh, Alien Technology, I discovered things. <clears throat> For instance, the Colosseum 
was built by the Romans, right? That's what we believe. No way. Right? No? No way. No. 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 First of all, there's a floating foundation underneath the Colosseum. It's 40 feet deep and 110 foot in diameter in a circle, and it supports the entire uh, upper structure, which is in a hell of an earthquake area. And who knew about floating foundations 2,000 years ago? In order for this thing to have survived, it had to be supported from underneath. And the, all the columns are made out of granite stones that are fitted together perfectly cut with no masonry, and they're held there by gravity and friction. Just like and that's that. the uh, pyramids, right? Just like perfectly cut. Yeah, the pyramid, exactly. Same same. Mo, and you go to a place like uh, there's an aqueduct bridge over the river Guard. It's called Pont de Guard, and it's amazing that this structure, 2,000 year old aqueduct, goes across the river Guard, is put together with perfectly cut stones, fitted together without mortar, and held there for 2,000 years. All the other bridges on the river Guard have been wiped out by floods. This sucker has stood there. That firm as a rock, and there's nobody can explain how this technology at Ponta Guard was uh, was assembled. I, love I could it. go on and on about this. I mean, uh, I love uh, it, dude. I, I'm blown away. I am just. This is so uh, cool. Now to get back just real quickly to Chaco Canyon in general and that whole area. Didn't they uh, the Hopi Indians uh, believe in the wing makers? They talk about like someone, the wing makers. They like the, the flying. Whole, yeah, they talk about like being in flying ships and whatnot. I mean, these are yeah. it's fascinating. Most of, most of the petroglyphs that you see in that area are depictions of tall beings with helmets and big eyes like goggles, and I think they were replicating what they saw. That these uh, Anunnaki have been here on this planet for thousands and thousands of years, and they um, have made these magnificent monuments that nobody can explain how the heck the locals built it. For instance, there's now evidence that the pyramids are about 10,500 years old. Uh, that comes from research on the Sphinx. Mm -hmm. Guess what, guys? 10,500 years ago, there were no Egyptians. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> So who built them? Who these Anunnaki, Anunnaki dog? As we were talking about this, um, Sam just basically flat out asked me. He's like, "So, do you believe in reptile people? Do you believe in reptile people? No. Okay. No. I almost I got excited. Was, there. Those were cartoons. Uh, those carvings and the Egyptian uh, paintings on the walls, uh, dog heads." Okay, see the horns on this guy? Two yeah. horns. Two horns. Yep. And here's an, here's the petroglyphs that look like he got horns on his head. He got three sets of horns. Yep. And I was wondering if we, you could tell me anything about uh, Puma Punka because uh, you could people know about Baalbek, people know about the Great Pyramids. It's Puma Punka is uh, is on the edge of Bolivia, I believe. Is that where it's at? Peru and Bolivia, somewhere right there. Yeah. Uh, any fascinating information you can give us to blow some minds whoa you see this stone yes yeah, the h okay. stone other way other way other way mm -hmm. other way Keep so going. what's there fascinating about puma punka is it it's it's yes. different in its construction than any ancient alien site on planet earth okay they, they use this these is, h stones this, go ahead marshall this is a replica of one of the hundreds of stones that they found at puma punka it is perfectly cut it's got incredible uh, precision, and the thing is made out of anthracite. And anthracite is the hardest stone. It's even harder than granite. you got to ask yourself, what tools were available? And they think the site might be 15,000 years ago. Uh, could have produced this. Wow. There's, there's all kinds of uh, artifacts there, there they are at Puma Punka, and wow, they uh, holy nobody cow. figured out how they got scattered, how they were blown apart, and how they fitted together, and what they did. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the joints, 
the cuts are perfect. Yeah. Uh, that would take an advanced technology to produce that type of, particularly on anthracite, which is uh, harder than granite. Wow. More advanced than what we have today because there's not even any like laser cuts. There's no evidence of technology that we use today, which would cut it out. We can't cut anything. I thought lasers can cut stuff. We can cut stuff, but we leave evidence that it was a laser that cut it. So this is very, uh, I met, you mentioned it, you said it blown apart. So people have recreated Pumapunka and it appears to be a structure that was circular. Some people have made out of these H blocks, uh, with going there. And I know that you're, uh, an author and whatnot, but what have you thought about people's idea of it? It might be a Stargate and that it was blown apart after it was used. Whoa. Have you heard of any of this Marshall? Yep. I've heard all the stories. Uh, Giorgio Sukakis is his favorite site. And uh, I've asked him many times what he is, thinks it was. And he, he said possibly a Stargate. But um, I can't say. I have no evidence to you prove. Uh, it might have been a gold mining operation. Hmm. You know, uh, Peru is filled with gold. Uh, Cusco, the zigzag walls, that was a vertical uh, uh, washboard and that was used to separate gold and I could go on and on I think the best thing that your audience if they're interested in this stuff is to go to my webpage yeah. which is www.adamthemissinglink.com and you'll see on the first page the story of me and on the second page are the four books that are either in uh, hard copy uh, e- e-books or uh, Kindle there you go. Thank you so much, and, uh, Marshall. There's the, at the bottom of this page, there's a little video, four-minute video, which tells my story. And on the second page are the books. Awesome. Hey, uh, so do you think the Anunnaki will come back soon? Is that a good thing? Are we in trouble? No. If they wanted to destroy us, they would have done it a long time ago, just like another one to do in the flood. I think they're observing us. They think we're um, crazy, a pretty, uh, pretty dangerous uh, civilization. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think they would save it. If they can, there may be some of them still here. There are people who have, I've talked to who are convinced that um, they exist still here on the planet. Oh, and I've, uh, I hate to tell you this, guys, but. It's been about an hour. No problem. Yeah. Hey, it's we, all good. Marshall. You're the best. Thanks so Marshall, much, Marshall. Thank you so much. You're the best. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we wish you nothing but love and happiness, and uh, we hope you can come back some other time, talk about your books and all that stuff. Uh, we appreci- I would, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. As long as I've got my voice, I could go for about an hour, and that's that's about it. We get it, Marshall. That's all we want from you. You're a wonderful person. We appreciate you coming back on. And uh, keep us updated on any, uh, any stuff that you're doing. All right? We appreciate you very much. Take care, Marshall. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. That was great. I was getting all ready right. to end it, but he's like, I got to go. I'm old. Well, let's not miss out on everybody's oh, favorite part. Thing. Here yeah. we go. Don't be an idiot. Hey, Aaron. Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute. A.A. Ron. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. You filthy animal. Aaron, thoughts? Uh, Wow. I mean, it's a fascinating story. If it's true, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't. I I can't even. But you're an atheist, though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you just believe that, like, we just sprung up and we're like, bam! And that's just, there's all these rules. We are an unfortunate accident. An unfortunate (laughs) accident. Oh. Hey, interesting, interesting. I loved it. I could listen to it. I wish he was in the reptile people because I could listen to that all fucking day, dude. Well, guys, when your guest is 85 and, uh, you know, he can only go for an hour, he can go for an hour, but that hour was awesome. That was one of the best podcasts we've ever done. And it's sadly, I talked the least amount ever on a podcast and, but I enjoyed it. I uh, thought Marshall was amazing. I am interested in that stuff. I want to do more of that. We got to do more of that. Keep those five stars reviews coming in. And man, uh, 
Very limited edition t-shirts are still left at our shop, so go ahead and get them, guys, while they're still there. We have some new ones coming out, right? Oh, we got yeah. some Ronin, we got some Truth Bombs, we got everything coming. An amazing design by an artist from uh, Ireland, you know who you are. And if you guys didn't notice, Australia, Headless Nation, thanks for the denim jacket. We guys love you. Guys, thanks for listening, we'll see you next week. Long live the conspiracies. <laughs>